there's a reality that right now some of you are hearing these questions like, this is silly, this is... I'm just asking you. you. See, this goes back to your previous statement. I said, do you believe that God puts pastors, that He plays a part in that? I know that you guys voted me in, but did you, do you believe that God is ultimately in charge of that kind of thing? Right? And so I'm asking you some questions because I believe that this is what God wants me to do. So ask yourself the question. When I think about God, and some of you had to say, you know what, I didn't think about Him that much. Now we'll get to what that might mean in just a minute. Now some of you, if we were to list out all your thoughts, if you were able to do this, if you list out all your thoughts, I'm going to put up this next description, you're going to go, ah, no, I didn't think about that at all, but let me explain what I mean. He's like a big genie. right? You know what I'm talking about, a genie? Here's Aladdin. What's Aladdin do? He finds a lamp, and what's he do? See, I always think of the Disney version, right, with uh, Robin Williams doing the voice. Yeah, you know, what, what, what does Aladdin do, though, to get the genie to come out of the lamp? Oh, come on, you guys know this. He rubs the lamp, right? How many times, I think? There's a, there's a certain number of times just, he just rubs it, right? Okay, so uh, Aladdin, he rubs the lamp, genie pops out. What does he get? Oh, there's the three. What's he get when he, the genie pops out? Okay, we're going to take a pause here for a second because I know you guys know the answer to these questions. How many wishes does he get? Three. Oh, see, I knew you guys were awake. So, now, you think, I don't think about God that way. No, no, just follow through for a minute. Some of you, if you were totally honest, if we could categorize all your thoughts about God over the last week, last month, last year. Some of you, if you were really honest, and maybe you have never thought about this before, so you're going to go, I don't know if that's true, but try to think, you know. Some of you are looking at me like, man, that hurts to think, you know. Okay, but try it anyway. Think back. What have you been thinking about? Some of you were honest. Most of the time, 90% of the time, when you think about God, it's, would you please give me this? Would you please do this? Would you please help me with this? Would you please heal this person of cancer? Would you please uh, help me overcome this problem? Lord, there's this problem person in my life. Could you help me deal with that? Lord, please, 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 please do this. Please do this. Please do this. Some of us, if we were real honest, if we, if we were to actually write out all the prayers we've prayed in the last month, most of our prayers have been, Give me, give me, give me, please, please, please. Would you give me this? Please, would you give me this? Would you do this? Would you do this? Now, I, I, I'm, there's nothing wrong with taking your needs to God, is there? Right? So I'm not talking about right or wrong. I'm just saying that most of us, if we were honest, the majority of our thoughts when it comes to God was simply when we wanted something. Right? Now, some of us even treat God really like a genie because if we want something from God, we, we don't rub a lamp. But maybe we think, we if just ask yourself if you've ever done this. You go to ask God for something, and you realize right before you ask Him, you know, Lord, help this situation. Right before you do it, you realize you haven't prayed to Him for a little while. And so then you, then you do this number. You go, oh, wait, you, you pull yourself back and you go, uh, Lord, I know I haven't talked to you in a long time. <laughs> oh, or maybe, maybe you go, uh, a sin pops in your head. You go, oh, wait a minute. I better confess that before I, I need to ask for this. And you try to keep that thought back because you don't want God to know you're thinking that you're just going to ask forgiveness because you want to ask for something. And so you're trying to keep that back in the back. And, and so then you, Lord, please forgive me of this thing. And, and then you maybe, then, then you maybe, you really treat him like a genie because you go, I better throw in some praise stuff in there before I just go to the asking part. I want to ask him for stuff, but I better, I better throw in some praise stuff first. Uh, some thank, some thank yous, right? And so then you start thanking, thank you for this, and 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 you're kind of thinking, calculating. I've done a few, enough thank yous now. Now I can ask, right? I mean, frankly, you're not treating God any different than you would a genie, 
instead of rubbing a lamp, you're at, you got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And eventually, now I can ask, right? Now, you may go, I have never in my life used the word genie and God in the same sentence. But that's, you're missing the point if you're focused on that. I'm just saying that many of us, the majority of our thoughts about God are, would you give me? Right? Now, some of us go, well, I, you know, I'm a pretty content person. I'm okay with most things. I might ask God for this or that every once in a while. But for the most part, I'm pretty content. I usually don't go to him to ask about things. But some of us, though, we go to God, and when we think about God, whether or not we're even praying to him, most of our thoughts about God are like this. He's the great lawgiver. He's the determiner of right and wrong. Now, we don't sit there and think about that very often, but it really pops up in your head when you run into somebody, you encounter somebody that's living wrong. Right? Or maybe you're watching the news and there's this guy on there, man, he's saying stuff and you're going, that is so wrong. And you, you kind of maybe thinking, start thinking about God, like God says that's wrong. That's what the Bible says, right? And, and the majority of our thoughts are all focused on God as lawgiver, right? Now, let me ask you a question. I'm asking lots of questions today. See, each one of these uh, is... is in many ways, slightly valid things. We're just asking, what do we actually think about? But you're probably wondering, why am I asking you this? So let's pop that up there. Why, Matt, why are you asking us these questions, right? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one is this. Most of us don't view God as God, right? But we don't view God rightly. And so... I want to change that a little bit, hopefully through the study of Ephesians, at least in myself. I want to make sure I view God more like who He is. I mean, some of these things like being a lawgiver or a provider, He, he even holds names like that, right? Uh, being a provider is Jehovah what? Jireh? God our provider? The Lord our provider? Right? And so there, these are aspects. It's not about whether or not those things are true that you're thinking about God. It's that... Let me ask you this. If, if my only thoughts about my wife were how good of a cook she is, she's a good cook. She made General Sal's chicken last night. It was good, right? Now, if all I was, but if that's if my only thoughts about my wife was just that, I'd be missing out on a whole other aspects of who she is as a person, right? She's a whole person. Just being a cook is just one aspect of who she is, right? Many of these things about God, being a provider, being the lawgiver, is just those are aspects of who God is. But He is a it, amazingly complex, right, person, so to speak. We're going to talk um, this afternoon about God. And one of the things about God is that even though he's knowable, like you can get to know him, the Bible also very clearly says he's, I'm going to use a big word, he's incomprehensible. In other words, you will never fully grasp the wholeness of who God is. Now, let's put those two ideas together. Right? You can always, always get to know more and more about this person of God. Never ending. He's incomprehensible. You'll never get to the place where you go, I know him completely. Right? He's incomprehensible. There's always more of who he is. And Ephesians paints a big, big picture of who God is. And so that's the second reason why I'm asking these questions is, we're starting a new series on Ephesians. Ephesians is about that big picture view of God. When you read Ephesians, it's just these broad ideas of who God is. It's about what's really going on in this world. 
I mean, Ephesians is letting you in on the secret of what life is all about. What's going on on this planet. That's what Ephesians is about. Right? This big picture. It's letting you on what's the thing. Right? And so we're going to pop this up here. The Kind of the theme that we're going to go with for Ephesians is, Ephesians, right? What, what is, how big is your view of God? Now, by the way, that background, that's, I believe, is an amphitheater in the city of Ephesus. Right? And so I... I Put that as a background, put that as a foreground. An amphitheater, right? Magnifies things. See, a person could stand down at the bottom and speak, and what happens? Their voices amplify. See, they didn't have microphones back then, right? And so they would position, they understood geometry and things well enough that they could make their structures to amplify their voice. And that's why we call it an amphitheater, right? And so uh, this is what Ephesians is about, is to amplify who God is amongst people. And so Paul is going to tell us some things about God. And here's the thing, before I go any further. I actually believe that this next year of studying Ephesians, it may take a little longer, a little less, but I believe that this could change every one of you. I do. I believe God's Word is quick, it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe it because that's what it says about itself. I believe, like Paul says in other places, that it's profitable, Right? For doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction, right? In righteousness. I believe these things about God's Word. And I believe that this next year studying Ephesians could change you in a great way. It can bring you to a deeper understanding of God, right? I believe this study in Ephesians could change our church to be more like what God's church should be. Now, I hope that we're all on the same page with that. I hope that everybody in the room is saying, you know, I want Edgewood to be God's kind of church, right? And so I'm, I'm going to operate as that is my assumption, that we're all on the same page of saying we, we hope that Edgewood is going to be God's kind of church and that the Bible is the route to those things. And so that's why we're going to do this. We're going to study Ephesians out and understand what is it all about and look at those things. And we're going to really dig into this book and, and prayerfully, hopefully, God will change us in the process. So now I'm going to give you a real brief overview of what Ephesians is about. Just kind of, this is kind of like a, a, the, when you walk into the kitchen, right? Somebody's cooking something good. And you're not allowed to taste it yet. But what, what, what happens sometimes when you walk in the kitchen and something's good is cooking? What, what happens? Oh, come on, people. <laughs> yeah, your mouth water. Why'd your mouth water? You didn't taste anything. Why did, how, what, what happened to get you, right? What happened there? You smelled something, and I mean, we could get into the scientific detail, but you smelled something that smelled good, and your nose liked it, and it sent a message down to your mouth and said, something good is on the way. And so your mouth said, I'm getting ready for this, and it starts to produce some saliva, right? It's ready to digest this stuff and break it down and taste it. That's what I want to do with you today is with Ephesians. I want to give you just a smell of what you might encounter in Ephesians, Right? And so that when you come back next week, your appetite will be ready to go and you will want to get something out of this. Okay? So let's start with some simple things here. First of all, the book of Ephesians. Who wrote it? Who's the author? Anybody know? Paul the Apostle, right? It's Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. Now, until recently... Nobody ever questioned that. Everybody's like, yeah, sure, it's Paul. Paul wrote it. Nobody ever questioned it uh, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Nobody questioned it. But there are a few people that have questioned it recently. I, this doesn't, I don't know if this is Paul that wrote it. Now, I just want to share the two reasons, right? 
You might find it interesting. I, I thought it was interesting. Two reasons why people thought, is this really Paul? Right? Let me give you two reasons. One of the reasons is vocabulary, right? Like the words that are being used in Ephesians. This is gonna, this, I thought this was amazing. In the book of Ephesians, there are 70 words, 70 words that are used in the book of Ephesians that Paul does not use in any of his other letters. Now, I thought that was pretty amazing. There were 70 words in Ephesians. We're talking about in the original, right? In the Greek, when Paul wrote this out. In the book of Ephesians, there are 70 words that, that Paul doesn't use in any of his other books. Right? And so, that caused a few people to go, he's using different words than he ever uses. Maybe this isn't Paul. Okay? But we'll, we'll answer that in a second. Uh, the second reason why that a lot of people thought, is this really Paul? Is because of the style of the writing. Now, I don't mean the penmanship, right? Because we actually don't think Paul wrote most of his letters physically anyway. He probably uh, told them to say, he transcribed them, right? He'd tell somebody else and somebody else would write it. We think that because there's some places where we think Paul's eyes, maybe he couldn't see very well. And so there's places where at the end of a letter he'll say, I, Paul, have written this ending with my own hand, right? And so we, we don't know for sure, but, but we think that. But the style is different. When I say style, I'm talking about the, the form of writing, let me just give you one example when we talk about the style. Paul does something different in Ephesians than he does in any other book. He uses these really long sentences. Now, in your English versions, you're going to see periods and things like that. I'm talking about in the original, when it was originally written, there were these really long sentences. Let me give you some in Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 14. Now, you don't need to turn there, but you can write this down for later. Maybe write it in your margin. Verse 3 to verse 14 originally was one sentence. Paul wrote that as one big, long sentence. Right? Now, that's an important fact to know when you're studying, isn't it? To know that that's one sentence, because it's broken down into smaller sentences in, in our Bibles, but in the original, it was one big, long sentence. Or chapter 1, verse 15 to 23 is also one big, long sentence. That means that almost all of chapter 1 of Ephesians is two sentences. Right? Two big, long sentences. Now, Paul doesn't do that in his other books, right? But he does it in Ephesians. If you go to chapter 2, right? So chapter 1, two big long sentences. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. That's also one big long sentence in the original, right? When Paul wrote it, he wrote it as one long drawn out sentence, right? And that was acceptable to do in Greek literature to write that way with these big long sentences. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, also one big long sentence, okay? So a lot of people looked at it and said, well, that seems strange, you know, that Paul doesn't do that in his other letters. So, is this really Paul, right? Well, let me answer those things. First of all, with the words. I mean, I feel like that's an easy one to answer. I mean, is it not possible that Paul could use different words than he uses in other letters? Yeah, so that's not a very good reason to say that that's not Paul. In fact, here's the thing. Ephesians goes down some ideas and some thoughts that Paul doesn't really talk about in his other letters. And so it would make sense that he might have to use some different words, wouldn't it? And so that's what he does. Or the sentences. These long sentences. Let me ask you this question. Most of Paul's letters, what were the circumstances of writing most of Paul's letters? Now see, now I'm really testing you. This isn't like the who pops out of the lamp question, right? This, is, this may be a little bit more difficult. Uh, most of Paul's letters, what were the circumstances that were surrounding a lot of his letters? Anybody know? 
persecution. He was being persecuted a lot. So, so there was things going on in his life. He was being persecuted. In fact, he was right in the middle of a really busy ministry, right? Going from town to town and writing these letters out. And, and in fact, sometimes his letters were responses to problems, right? This church, there was an issue. And Paul said, I need to address that. And so he wrote a letter. And so most of Paul's letters are in a hurry, from what we know, right? Middle of a busy ministry, he's on the road, right? He's writing this out. Ephesians, does anybody know where was Ephesians written? Where was Paul at? It, yeah, in jail. He was in prison in Rome, the city of Rome. I mean, reality is most likely he didn't have a whole lot to do other than sit and think and write. Maybe do a lot of praying. And I, I can only imagine that during this time in this prison, God was opening up his mind to some things and he started thinking, wow, I've got to get this written down. And, but he took some time to really develop those thoughts, right? And, and lay these things out. There's also, now I know that some of you are hearing this going, I don't, okay. But this, this, is, this is what studying the Bible is about, is understanding what's going on here, Right? There's also a connection between the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. Ephesians and Colossians, and I didn't realize this until I started studying it, but there are 55 verses in Ephesians and Colossians that are verbatim identical. Did you know that? There are 55 verses in Ephesians. Now, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't figure that out on my own. Okay, I was studying and somebody else told me that. I didn't go through and oh yeah, there's another one. I, well, I wouldn't have even known to look for that. But, so there's obviously some kind of connection between Colossians and Ephesians, right? And so here, there's this connection. We also know that this guy named Tychicus wrote, or delivered both of these letters. He's mentioned in both of them as playing a role. And so Paul, he was in prison. This guy named Tychicus was there and he said, okay, and, and, and he sent them off with him, right? So, so he must have delivered the, the letter to the Colossians or this letter to the Ephesians, right? Um, and, and so you see these things there. Now, let's go to the next part of the question here. The author, clearly Paul, I believe it's Paul. I have no doubt about that. And uh, we, can, we can trust that that's true. Now, let's look at this next part here. Who are the recipients, right? Who are the recipients? Now, first guess, who received the letter of Ephesians? The Ephesians, most likely, right? I mean, it says it right there. Uh, but there's an interesting thing about that. Let me put this up here. The city of Ephesus, right, were the recipients of this letter. There is some questions that were actually kind of valid about this. Was this really to the Ephesians originally, Okay. Now, understand that in those days, there was no postal system, right? So they didn't have, you know, put it in the mailbox, it gets delivered. Now, if you were an official government person, they had stuff for you. But the average person, this is why this friend of Paul's delivered the, the, the letter, right? But uh, here we have, in Ephesians, the very first verse says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, but many of the oldest Versions that we have, the oldest Greek manuscripts, just say, to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. In fact, they have some that have a blank where it says, the Ephesians. Right? This is a blank there. And most of their oldest copies that they have, it just says, you know, it's just a little blank. Right? Now, I'll come back to that in just a second. Uh, there's something interesting as well about that. Paul spent at least three years in the city of Ephesus. In fact, if you want to read a very moving, touching, personal farewell, go to Acts, don't right now, not right now, but Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 35. 
That is Paul's farewell speech to the leaders in Ephesus. And it's a touching, moving, personal speech, right? Now, here he is later writing a letter supposedly to the Ephesians. But yet, the book of Ephesians is one of the most impersonal letters of all of the letters of Paul. Most of his letters contain some really personal information. But he wrote Ephesians almost like he didn't know who it was going to, right? Now, that, that would seem odd, wouldn't it? I mean, if he knew these people really well, spent so much time with them and, and gave touching farewell speeches to them, you would have thought in this letter there would have been you know, some more information. And so, what's the answer to that question? Well, nearly every commentary I read, from the good ones to the bad ones, they all were in, in agreement on this. I thought that was interesting. Most people believe that Ephesians was originally what's known as a, and I'm just going to put this here, was originally a circular letter. You know what I mean by a circular letter? It doesn't mean it was cut in a circle, right? It means that it was delivered with the intent not just to go to one group of people. So whether or not it went to the Ephesians first, it was intended to go to several of the churches that were in Central Asia, right? Near where Ephesus was. And so most scholars believe that the reason why Ephesians seems to not be very personal is because Paul wasn't intending it at all for just the Ephesians, right? He was intending for it to go to lots of people. Uh, in fact, uh, in the book of Colossians, which I said there's a connection with, he actually mentions, hey, you're going to get a letter from the Laodiceans. And most scholars believe that maybe this letter went to Laodicea first before it made it to Ephesus, right? And then eventually it went to the city of Colossae. And so Paul knew it was going to take that route. And so the reason why we think that it has that to the Ephesians was because there was a guy named uh, Marcion. He was the first guy to collect all of Paul's letters together, right? And it's interesting, he even refers to the book of Ephesians instead of Ephesians, he calls it the letter to the Laodiceans, right? And so there's obviously things, but we believe that at some point where, where the Bible was starting to be collected, the, most of the copies they had said to the Ephesians, right? And so that's who it was to. Now, let's answer the next question. When? Oh, I forgot to pop it up. Oh, see, now you see the answer already. Uh, when was it written? It was written when he was in Rome. Most likely it was the year A.D. 62. Okay? Now, let's get to the thought. Now, see, it's 1130. You guys are starting to wonder, hmm, how much longer do we have here? Right? Let's get to the thought. What's, what's this book about? Right? Now, I already told you it's about how big is your view of God. And so I want to talk about that uh, again. But this is talking about how big is your view of God. This is kind of the, the driving idea in Ephesians that we want to unfold. Uh, if you go to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says this. And this is kind of a summary statement for you. It says, making known to us... Okay, Paul's talking about what God has done for us all through the first part. Remember, this is part of a big sentence. He says, making known to us the mystery of His will. Right? God's will. According to His purposes, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in Him... Things in heaven and things on earth, right? So here Paul lays out very clearly, there's some big purposes that God has. And the mystery of what God was doing, the mystery of what is God's will? What's he doing from the creation of time before the foundation of the world? What's God doing? It's now being revealed to us, Paul says. I'm telling you, this is what it's all about. Now in this world, there's very much a disunity of things. 
we got man versus man going on in the world. We got nations fighting against each other, right? People are warring against each other. We got classes and different races of people, and there's political opinions that are battling against each other. Even in nature, you see this unrest at work. I don't want to sound really old, but people used to say nature is red in tooth and claw. That's an old statement just to refer that nature is full of death, right? Uh, things are killing each other. You even see uh, throughout history it's been this way over and over again, right? In the spiritual realms as well, we see this. There's this battle, and there's angels, and there's demons, and there's principalities and powers at work. The universe and all of mankind operates within this disunity, right? Frankly, even within ourselves, uh, one uh, theologian described it this way. He said, men are like a walking civil war. Now, do you know what that means? I mean, think about it. Within myself, I have the, this, this part of me, whether it's because of God or not. We're not going to talk about that just a second because even people who are lost have this at work within them. You see them, there, there's this desire within me to do right. But equal within it is there's this, there's this desire to do wrong. Paul talks about it in a different circumstance, right? He says, I've got this going on within me, but I also see this going And Paul describes this, this battle on the inside. Now, maybe some of you are saying, no, I don't have to worry about that. But most, I think most people would say, you know, I might be making some right choices and do the right things, but man, sometimes there's this desire to do the wrong thing, right? There's this there. It's present. I, sometimes I want to do the, the bad thing, right? I mean, it's, there's this going on. Then you have between God and man, right? It's not in perfect harmony, is it? Between God and ourselves. What's the answer to this problem? It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the answer to the dilemma. From the creation of the world when Adam sinned, since then, death has reigned, disunity has reigned, and God's answer, God's divine answer to this problem wasn't just in, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, but it was actually in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? That's the solution. You see that. Uh, Paul talks about it this way. He says this uh, close to the beginning, that phrase I just read. He says, He will unite... See, get rid of the disunity. He will unite all things in Him. Even before the creation of the world, before the disunity, this was God's ultimate plan, that God was going to bring all things together in Christ. Right? We go down further. I'm going to read this one. This is in verse 21. Paul says, He has a name, speaking about Jesus. He has a name that is above every name that is named. Right Above every name that is named is this Jesus. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It's Jesus. It's all about Him. Right? Um, now, I'm going to tell you right now. I've got a few more pages of notes here. But I'm going to skip ahead. Okay? Because I recognize that one of the reasons why I wrote so many notes is because when I started studying this, my mouth started to water. Right? I mean... This is good stuff. I'm excited about the book of Ephesians. I'm excited what I'm going to learn over the next year as I study to teach you. There's all kinds of concepts. I, I, I'm, just gonna, I'm going to go through the slides that I had for you, but I'm going to skip ahead, okay? Uh, verses 22 and 23, he says this, And he put all things, speaking about Jesus, all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, the... The church, and let's just talk about us for a second. I believe that Edgewood has a role to play in what Christ is doing in this world. I mean, if, uh, one day he's going everything is going to be taken care of. 
But until that day, I believe that we have parts to play in that. And God's specific plan is through His church. Okay? Now, I'm going to skip way ahead here. I'm going to go through. Oh, look at this. You guys are going to be so happy. Look, at I just got rid of three pages of notes. Okay? I'm going to skip ahead in my, my slides here. Go to this one for a minute. Because I want you to really grasp what's going to happen. Something that I have recognized is that for this to really work, right, that there's something that I, I need to battle against for a minute. Okay? Dominant in our churches today, and I would say in Danville and in many churches today, uh, I, I mentioned this when we were studying church. I, I described it as a, the McChurch, right, like McDonald's. A lot of people look at church as this thing that they show up at like a restaurant, give me something, and I go on my way, right? Feed me a little bit, I'm going to go on my way. You have to understand that within that, that is not the framework that God has for us. There, there are some important things for this what we're doing here to work, right? And so, in addition to what we're going to learn in Ephesians, there's something else we, we, as a church, we need to come together and really fight against. It's that church mentality. We need to make what God is doing in our lives, uh, and we need to begin that unifying work as God is going to unite all things in Christ. We need to start that unifying work in our churches, right? Within ourselves. And so I've been thinking all week, and actually a couple weeks I've been thinking about this, Lord, how can I be instrumental in getting that to happen at Edgewood, right? As God's God-given shepherd for you to shepherd you and guide you and point you in the right direction, it's like, Lord, how can I do this? How can I point us in the right direction? Okay? And let me share it right at the very end of Ephesians, because Ephesians gets into some real personal, practical things. I am going to put this up there. This is right at the very end. Uh, I'm going to go down to... This is chapter 6, um, starting off with verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Okay, now you have to understand, this is playing through all these things. He's talking about the big picture of what God is doing and how it's playing out in the church and specifically in people's lives. And now Paul ends with this, this charge. And he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He goes on, Put on the whole armor of God. Have you ever heard that before? Put on the whole armor of God, right? Uh, we're we're going to get to that eventually when we get to the end of the book and study this. And, uh, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, because Satan is working against that. There's this individual that we call the devil. We call him Satan. He's a real individual. And he's fighting against the unifying work of Christ. And he wants to postpone it and destroy it and tear it down. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right? Therefore, he says, you know, the next one. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God. Because you know there's this cosmic disunity going on, right? Paul says, take up this whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Right? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Right? So what's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. Right? Notice next. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, there's some things in there that I want to focus on and this is how we're going to end today. When the Bible says the sword of the Spirit, now we could go through the whole armor, but let's just focus on the sword for a minute, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? Now, is Paul saying you need to have a Bible? Is that what his emphasis is? Just make sure you have one? No. That would be like me telling you to go into battle and just make sure you have a sword. Just, you know, keep it in its sheath. Let it lay to the side. The sword is meant to be used, isn't it? I have been, if I might be honest with you, I've been surprised lately at how many people I've met that have opened up to me and shared with me how people that I thought were strong in the faith and had been in the Word for years, and I just kind of assumed that was the case, that by confession they said, I don't read my Bible. They might read it here, they might read it there, but for the most part they don't spend time in the Word. If we're going to be God's kind of church, I'm going to tell you right now, if we're going to understand Ephesians, you need to be in the Word. You need to be reading your Bibles every day. Right? What's the other thing he said there? Praying when? At all times. Right? Pray without ceasing. <laughs> Pray at all times. I mean, if we're really going to be God's kind of church, we need to be praying, reading the Bible together, and praying together, and praying for each other, Clearly talks about praying for each other, praying that we'll be alert, praying that these things will happen. So I've been torn around, like, okay, Lord, I feel burdened that that's not happening. I don't know it's not. I don't go into any of your homes and say, you know, how often have you read the Bible this week? You know, let me tell me. But I, I have this burden that maybe it's not happening like it should be, right? Maybe it's not actually happening. Maybe there's a lot of you that's in here, and in your heart of hearts right now, you know it's true. To actually pick up your Bible on a daily basis and open it up and read something out of it, if you were honest, that doesn't happen very often. Some of you are really honest. You might say, I do that, but I can't remember the last thing. I got something out of it. Right? Or how about the praying? There's some of you, if you were really honest, you you can't remember the last time you, you sat down and prayed. Some of you say, I'm a prayer warrior. I pray every day. That's great. I'm just burdened that maybe that's not happening with all of us. Right? Now... So I pulled something together. I said, okay, Lord, how can we pull ourselves together as a church? Okay, And so what I've got for you, I'm going to put a picture of it up here on the screen. I've got a bookmark. All right? Got some bookmarks. Now you might be thinking, I don't like bookmarks. I'm sorry. Best I could do. Okay? On the back of this bookmark, and I'm going to give you a new one every couple of weeks. Okay? Every two, three weeks we'll do a different one. But we're going to start with this one. Okay? On the back of this bookmark, it says, Reading and Praying Through Ephesians. Okay, and so here's my hope, that we as a church will read and pray through Ephesians together. As we study this together and I preach through this, that you're going to be reading it together with me and you're going to be praying this together and this is going to bring us together as a church. Okay? On Monday, I have down just to read that first big long sentence. Okay? Here, maybe I should give these to you. Somebody want to pass some of these out? There you go. You can get somebody to help you if you want. Okay? Now just take one. If you say, if you're, you're sitting there and go, I don't want one, just take one anyway. Just pretend like you're going to use it, okay? Alright, just, just, so, just so we're all on the same page here. Okay? On Monday I have down 
something to read, and it, from that passage, something that maybe you can pray about. Okay? Monday, I have now read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. That's, that's one sentence in the original. Remember, Paul wrote it. That was one, one big long sentence. Read that one long sentence. I read it just to see how long it would take me. You know how long it took me? A minute and 36 seconds. I read really slow, though. I was trying to... Okay, let's make sure I'm getting some... I didn't read fast. So maybe you're a faster reader. You can read it. So all I'm asking you for on Monday, right, for the next couple weeks, you take a minute and 30 seconds to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. When you're done, or before, I, I want to encourage you to pray for something. Something that he makes clear in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And if you read it, you'll see it in there is to pray for God to make himself known to you and to us. It, it talks about that in Ephesians 1, how God has made himself known. Right? He, he reveals himself. He chooses how much knowledge you're going to get and how he's going to reveal himself. And so pray for that. Ask God, God, if there's things I'm missing out on, reveal yourself to me. Right? Reveal yourself to our church. Reveal yourself to Matt. <laughs> right? He needs you to reveal... I need to... Because I've got to preach on Ephesians chapter 1 right, next week. You, you want the truth, and you want to know what, what God might have for you. And so, start praying. God, reveal yourself. Tuesday, that second big long sentence, right? There's two big long sentences in Ephesians 1. On Tuesday, take a minute to thank God for each person, if you can remember. Or if you want, just pick one person at our church and just thank God. Thank you, Lord, that, that person's here at our church. Right? I just I appreciate them, or I'm thankful for them. Lord, the reason why is because if you read that, you'll hear Paul doing the same thing. I'm thankful for your, your faith. Of these people. Wednesday, if you're, if you're feeling ambitious, read the whole chapter. Now, that should take about three minutes to do. Okay? All of chapter one. Now, if you're feeling really ambitious, read the whole book of Ephesians on Wednesday. Well, I don't know if I have time to do that. It, it, it doesn't take that long. 22 minutes. There you go. Right? Do you have 22 minutes? Well, I'll probably have to skip that show that I was going to watch. So what? <laughs> okay? Skip something. Skip something. Take, try it. Try to do it. If you're like me, reading the whole books is sometimes hard. Okay? I get, I get to reading, and I'll see something out the window to distract me. Right? And I'll, I'll find myself trying to read, and then I, I'll catch myself. I'm just looking out the window for five minutes. Right? And so, if you're like me, maybe it's going to be hard for you to do. So don't try to do the whole thing if you're not going to get... Turn, uh, I'm just going to focus on the first chapter. That day, pray, pray to those... I don't think I typed that right. Pray those that you know who are lost. Oh, pray for... I left out the word for. Nobody caught it. Pray for those that you know who are lost and, and are missing out on the gospel. All of us know someone who's lost. And just pray, because this is Ephesians about what's God doing and the big mystery of how God is revealing himself to the world, right? And so take a minute to pray for those that you know that are lost that day. Thursday, go back to the first sentence, 3 through 14, right? That day, pray for... Pray for, again for your, yourself for a better understanding of the gospel. It talks about that a little bit in there. Friday, read the second big long sentence. That day, pray for unity in our church, right? I, I believe that if we start doing what God wants us to do, that, that there are, according to Ephesians, there are principalities and powers. I mean, I don't even know what all that's about, right? Well, how, what is that? What, what are principalities and powers? But I do know that they're real. And I believe that they do not want this church to succeed. And if we really cut, start coming together and praying for these things, I believe God is going to... I believe that Satan is going to be... He's going to send out, say, hey, you, you know, you know, you guys, go hit this church hard. Right? Find a way to bring out some division in the church. Pick some silly, ridiculous thing to really just drive them crazy and try to break that church apart. Right? So we want to pray for that. Pray for unity in our church. 
Saturday and Sunday, I'm not being selfish, but this is a big picture understanding what God is about. Saturday and Sunday, read just the first six verses. Take a, just a few moments of your time. Read Ephesians 1, 1 through 6, and take a minute to pray for the pastor. Because Saturday, because I'm a full-time employee of a school, I don't have you know, time like a lot of pastors do. And so Saturday, as much as I try to get down into the week, it just I, 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 tried, I, I can't get out of it. I end up Saturday morning trying to get pull those last little strings together and get things put together and put the PowerPoint in. And so take some time. Get up Saturday. Because I, I promise you, I will be up at 5 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, trying to get this thing together. Right? Praying that. And get up and say, Lord, Matt, he's, sometimes he's not the brightest light bulb in the bunch. Right? You, you don't have to say it that way. But if you want to, you can. Lord, give him some wisdom. Right? Bless him with wisdom. Give him some insight. I can't tell you how many times I get so excited. I've looked at a passage several times, and on Saturday morning I'll be sitting there going, this just doesn't seem right. And all of a sudden like this light bulb goes on. I go, oh, how did I miss that? Right? Maybe one of you were praying for me right then. Lord, be with Matt. He needs it. Right? Uh, maybe you're praying. But I, I'm asking you, Saturday and Sunday, get up in the morning before church, pray, pray for this day to go well. There's a lot of people that aren't here today that I believe that will miss out on God's blessing for them and the truth that He might have for them. Pray for those people. Okay? Uh, a couple weeks I'll give you a new one because we'll be moving on and progressing. Okay? But I want to encourage you to do this. Once again, I know, just like I said at the beginning, I know that some of you are going to high expectations. You're, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm totally going to do this. And you put it in there and it's, it's going to slip out of your mind. That's okay. Just keep Every time it comes back to you, I'm going to pray that God will remind you. Try to do that. Try to remember. If you remember, keep it in your Bible, right? Take a few seconds out of your time. Well, I've got this other Bible reading program. That's okay. I, I guarantee you can probably squeeze this one in too, okay? Throw this one in. It's only a minute and 30 seconds for most of these readings, right? Throw this one in, okay? I know that some of you are going to... Hopefully not. I, I don't think this... I forget, I'm not going to say it. I think all of you are willing to do what God wants you to do, and you're going to at least try to do this. I believe that. I believe that if you don't, that, that God's Spirit will be convicting you about it. You should be doing that too, right? Do, you know, go along with this. It, it's not because this is a brilliant idea, right? It's not because I think, wow, I've invented something super spectacular. It's a bookmark. It's a piece of paper, right? It's not the best idea in the world. But if we believe that God uses pastors in the church to guide and direct us, then we have to recognize that and say, okay, maybe God might be having me do this for something other than just Matt's ideas, right? Maybe God is playing a part in this. So I want to encourage you to make this a point in your life to say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to do this. Right? I believe that you will walk away from doing this. If you can do this this week, you will walk away blessed because you've done it. I believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that my ideas are not always the best. And Lord, I know that this is just a bookmark. And Lord, maybe you'll bless me with better Uh, inspiration and more exciting things to do. But Lord, for right now, the bottom line is we need to read your Bible and we need to pray. Lord, to sound like the children's song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow. Lord, I believe that's true. I pray that you'd be with every person in this room, that they would make it a point in their life to read their Bible and to pray every day. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as we do that. Lord, that you would continue to bless this church. And all these things I just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.